You may have heard about it, but you haven't heard Guy's take. So let's get into it. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. This is Bitcoin Audible, and we've got a Guy's Take episode today. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And some major developments have happened recently that I think uh, really are a great opportunity for a Guy's Take episode in particular because I think... Uh, it's it's a development that is on a different scale than what many of the other, uh, I guess you could say, the involvement of the legacy financial system and the the interconnectedness with the legacy financial system has taken in the past. A lot of the other services that have sprung up, uh, the futures markets and these sorts of things, I believe that what we have witnessed very recently with, um, if, if you haven't heard about it, the uh, investment by MicroStrategy. They're, a, they're like an enterprise like analytics company. And with the recent earnings call that happened just a couple of days ago, and, um, their, uh, and an announcement, uh, they have made waves with the announcement that they have made a significant position in the Bitcoin asset. And what I think the most important element of their decision is, is the why. The, the analysis and the reasoning behind their decision to put a huge amount of capital, $250 million worth, into Bitcoin. I think it is wholly of a different nature than what we have seen up to this point. And I, I titled this episode... Um, the first domino is falling. And I, I truly think that from the standpoint of Bitcoin as a monetary standard, as a reserve asset, that this is the first true move in that direction. This is the first real domino falling. And I think it could accelerate very, very quickly and a lot of people in a global environment will be looking at the, the people who are managing reserves and the treasuries and the um basically who are responsible for the long-term value and holdings for these companies and who want to make sure that they are established in a position that isn't going to bleed them dry over the next five to ten years i think i think those people are going to take a very very hard look at what just happened with MicroStrategy. And we are going to get into it in this Guy's Take episode. Don't forget to subscribe. This is the Bitcoin Audible Show. And uh, uh, you should be stacking your sats responsibly. Bitcoin, if Bitcoin is primed to be the new reserve asset, um, if, if the MicroStrategy's uh, uh, bet is in, in essentially, if their analysis of this is correct, well, then uh, there is no better time to start auto uh, dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin. And you do that with Swan Bitcoin. Uh, go to swanbitcoin.com slash guy. 
I have set my parents up with this service. Um, I have set up tons of friends and other people in the Bitcoin space. It is the simplest, like no nonsense. You're not gonna get a whole bunch of altcoins. You're not gonna get flooded with, oh, buy Chainlink or whatever it is. You can't even sell. It is literally just a Bitcoin savings plan and it has auto purchases and auto withdrawals to your own keys. Swanbitcoin.com slash guy gets you 10 free dollars. So I always got to start out with just just pushing that. You got to have a, even if you do trade, even if you do the risky, irresponsible stuff, just set up an auto purchase anywhere, really. Set up an auto purchase a Bitcoin savings plan so that you are always stacking sats. Okay, so now that you're safely stacking sats, um, uh, let's go ahead and get into this. And I want to start off by comparing or by talking about kind of the institutional avenues we've seen uh, weasel their way into the Bitcoin space and what they mean and kind of what the mentality of uh, the connections with the legacy financial system Bitcoin has had thus far. Um, and, uh, you know, we've had like a handful of major investors and uh, really prominent like personalities and uh, financial advisors, like uh, people who have basically come out saying that Bitcoin is valuable, but these are individuals, right? Like uh, these are maybe oftentimes these are people who even are uh, have huge positions in investment firms and financial institutions and will make a large personal stake, but then specifically say from an institutional perspective, it doesn't make any sense for my business or my investment firm to make significant waves or uh, make a significant position into Bitcoin because A, it's too volatile. It's not quite liquid enough. It's not quite mature enough. You know, like I might personally be willing to risk and uh, say on TV that, oh, I'm very bullish for Bitcoin, but, you know, I can't put a billion dollars of my company's money into Bitcoin, that would be irresponsible. My shareholders and the people in the institutions might be really pissed off. Like they're not ready for it, essentially. Um, and I've heard this in multiple conversations with the various, you know, uh, uh, various people um, who have come out in support of Bitcoin. Um, even Paul Tudor Jones, who recently um, was speaking about it and talking about his investment in it, I think. I think it was 2%, I believe he said, on CNBC. Um, I mean, if you, if you hear him talk about it, he's like, oh, you know, this is huge. I think it's got great potential. It's a, a, a great new asset class. It has a lot of, you know, it's an asymmetric bet. It has lots of upside and basically has limited downside at this point. Um, and uh, they've, he's allocated 2% of his uh, wealth into it. Um, and again, that's a really small allocation. And this is something you hear a lot when Ciceras talks about this. So, so many people um, talk about this, particularly from like a finance perspective, is when you're looking at the risk um, profile of Bitcoin and having a, uh, having a position in it, people constantly say, you know, it's irresponsible not to have like a 1% allocation because it's actually an asset that has a 10x, maybe even 100x potential um, but has a pretty limited downside at this point. Um, yes, it has upwards of, you know, during the incredibly volatile, like, hype cycle periods, it has an 80% swing, essentially, like we could see an 80% fall. Um, and we even recently saw a 
60% or 65% some odd fall with the liquidity crisis. But look at what also happened. Look at what immediately followed that 60% fall. And I think this move that happened recently in Bitcoin is one of the strongest indications of just how sustainable and liquid Bitcoin is becoming. Within a month, it, we were in the $9,000 range and found an extremely stable area. And then we had a huge credit crisis. We had a huge liquidity crisis in the legacy markets. And of course, people have to sell what is liquid to the, any sort of liquid asset that they have in order to prop up their, uh, their positions in the illiquid and trapped legacy markets. So in order to basically not get defaulted, they have to shore up their positions. And in doing so, Bitcoin is an incredibly liquid and available asset. So it created a huge sell-off um, right alongside with the stock market and all of those things in Bitcoin, which actually makes a whole lot of sense, you know. Um, and uh, But what happened immediately afterward? In a month, all we saw was a steady climb right back up to 9,000. And we found that price stability yet again. It turned right back around and we were right back where we started. That is one of, that is such a strong indication of what the equilibrium price of Bitcoin is. To see it plummet to 3,000 in a liquidity shock and then build its way right back up to where it was and find stability a third time at that same price range, that was a huge indication for me. Um, that, was, that was when I really was like, damn, it's time to get bullish again. Like we have, we have found the equilibrium price. The market has established that Bitcoin is worth this. Um, this is where it's going to go back to. And I was scrambling. I've told this story numerous times uh, on my show and on other shows now. But I was freaking out trying to get as much Bitcoin as I could when it fell at 3000 and and there's a running joke with the crypto economy crew and like everybody uh, all the bitcoiners we talked to everybody was fomo panicking trying to buy when the price was pump plummeting and that's how you tell the difference between somebody who is speculating on bitcoin and somebody who is a bitcoiner the speculators and the people who are in just to make a dollar and don't understand the true value of this thing freak out and they panic sell when the price drops. A true Bitcoiner who understands the value of this thing and knows uh, the incredible potential still heading into the future that this thing is anything but found its, uh, 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 you know, reached its market saturation. Those people are FOMO buying when the price plummets. They don't panic sell. They panic buy when the price plummets. So uh, that's, a, that's a great metric. It's a great uh, uh, comparison to use when you're trying to decide if somebody's a, a speculator or somebody who's a true Bitcoiner. But going back to the institutional perspective, let's again look at the different um, companies that have gotten involved in this space. And exactly in what way they have entered into uh, the Bitcoin, uh, the Bitcoin industry. So backed was B A K K T for those who uh, uh, either don't remember or don't know about this yet. If you want to do a little digging, um, backed was has been a huge um, institutional, uh, I guess you could say, foray into the Bitcoin industry. 
they're created by their parent company is uh, called Intercontinental Exchange, and they're actually the same company responsible for the NYSE, like the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and they basically came to market with um, uh, agreements and support of a huge, uh, some really, really big names in space. Um, they, they talked about uh, Starbucks, um, partnerships with Microsoft, BCG, um, these other things. And what, they're, what they are essentially doing is serving a market need. As we see with all these exchanges and all of this stuff, they're seeing that there's an industry here, that there's a market here, and there are customers to provide for. So they are trying to make an avenue for institutions to get involved. They're providing a service that can, you know, um, they can make fees off, uh, fees off of. They are very much the shovel producers of the gold rush. Um, and that's what we see over and over and over again is service level uh, involvement. Um, and so backed is kind of a, their combination like custody and like warehousing. Um, and then also they have, they have their own futures market. Um, another great example of that is CME, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. They have their futures market now. And that actually basically came on the scene right at the peak of the 2017 bubble. A lot of people, I think, um, uh, incorrectly uh, 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 equate that to the reason the bubble burst. No, the bubble was going to burst, and it was way overheated. And in fact, if you look at the CME futures volume during that time, that's a very, very weak story that doesn't hold up to much. The volume was extremely small, and, and that's usually the case in institutional um uh, a finance when they get into move into a new space volume is incredibly low at the beginning because they, they don't have a trusted situation you know, it's a new instrument like institutional investors aren't stupid they're not going to throw a hundred billion dollars at something that's brand new uh they're not beta testers right they're uh they're long term uh they they want high assurances they want high reputation and they want an established history that they can trust and we saw essentially the same thing with Bact. Bact did incredibly little volume. It was basically like, you know, when they finally opened up, everybody was so freaking excited. And it was like, pew! Like, I mean, it's just like, it was like a little nothing. I think their first volumes were like one Bitcoin or two Bitcoins worth of contracts or something like that. And it's really small. I mean, I'm, I might be wrong on those numbers. I just remember it being kind of funny uh, when it came out because I, uh, I was watching it pretty closely um, at the time. Um, but, uh, so, and you know, there's not a whole lot of news about backed recently. Um, but part of another part of their service is to have, uh, basically allow retail, um, uh, access to it. Uh, it sounds like from what they've said and spoken about, about being able to spend Bitcoin at Microsoft and Starbucks, this was something very, uh, uh, it, at least alluded to a lot in their conversations. I don't think there was explicitly like like specific details given about how this would work or what it would look like they basically just said they want uh bitcoin access to be available to these institutional players who want to accept it and uh want to integrate it in some way with their services and their businesses um so again they're the shovel makers they're the they're the ones who build the miners um, that are you know being taken out into the wild. They're the ones that are building the sifters and selling it to people. Um, and CME is the exact same thing. They see that exchanges uh, are making money. 
They see that uh, people are willing to pay fees and they want to trade and provide liquidity in this new asset. They want to buy and sell it. They want to bet on whether or not it's going to go up and down. So they build a platform and make this available to them. They, they are looking at a speculative asset that people want to play with and they are providing a service to allow that to happen. They are legitimizing Bitcoin, but they are not seeing Bitcoin as a store of value. These are not investments toward that goal. These are not, uh, this is not looking at Bitcoin as a reserve asset. This is just an interesting new technology and a vibrant new industry that they want a piece of. Basically, they see somebody else selling a crapload of shovels to gold miners, and they, they want to make sure that they get a piece of that too. Now, Fidelity is another one um, that has uh, moved into this space. Uh, and they were actually much earlier, but they've, they've taken a much more gradual approach at the same time. Um, they've been kind of dipping their toes in and uh, has, have done amazing due diligence. If anybody has um, really uh, looked at what Fidelity has uh, been involved with in this space, I mean, they've, their whole, um, their digital currency, their, what is it, digital assets uh, branch or something like that. I, I can't remember exactly, exactly what Fidel, Fidelity calls it. But they have basically an entire division that's dedicated to digital assets, and they're highly, highly Bitcoin focused. Um, they've actually been mining, like actually they set up a miner in full nodes to learn and do research and test. Um, I think back in 2015, uh, they've been involved for a very long time, and they do, um, I believe it's fully available to a subset of customers. I'm not sure exactly how it works because I have not dug into it. And when I had my 401k, the little bit that I had in Fidelity, I didn't, I wasn't able to get access to Bitcoin through it. So I don't know exactly how it works. I have no personal experience with it, but they have been uh, part of what their plan is, is to have uh, the ability to allow retail investors and personal like uh, individual investors invest in digital assets to hold Bitcoin. They want to be a custodian and they have actually open sourced. Uh, I think I've read it on the show, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they released an article um, detailing out and breaking down their cold storage system. So it's actually open source and you can go learn about how they, it's a pretty elaborate. I can't remember the details off the top of my head because it's been a really long time since I read it. Um, but I'll try to find that one and put that in the show notes. Let me write that down because I constantly talk about adding shit to the show notes and I never forget to do it or I never remember to do it. Um, uh, so Fidelity, open source, cold storage. Don't forget. But again, um, the looking at it from, a pers from what their perspective is and from how they have made their way into this space, they've done it from a, again, People are, people need shovels, people need uh, sifters, people need mining equipment. Um, like, again, we're, you know, talking about our gold, uh, gold rush analogy. They're selling services and they're building out the industry and helping the liquidity and helping the legitimization um, of Bitcoin and uh, the asset class in general. And this has been basically consistent. This has been the story of institutional and legacy finance involvement in Bitcoin up to this point. 
And those are incredibly important developments. And they are uh, very awesome uh, to see. And they certainly are a huge uh, benefit to the industry as a whole and to um, creating, to building out the mind share of Bitcoin as the one truly legitimate and truly liquid uh, uh, digital asset that is out there, basically establishing it as king in a sense. These were all incredibly important developments. But let's go ahead and take a second and hit our sponsor. And I want to talk about why micro strategy and what they have just done is fundamentally different and is a massive first step into the next wave of this thing. I think all the others are precursors to the major decision that this company has just made and the consequences of it, the short-term consequences that, have, that we've seen as a response to it. Um, and I think, it's, I think this is massive news. Um, and we will talk about it in just a second. So let's hit our sponsor. I'm going to go get something else to drink. And uh, we'll be right back. So what makes this event special? What makes MicroStrategy's decision and uh, assessment of this fundamentally different than Paul Tudor Jones backed the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, uh, Fidelity, uh, everybody that we have seen get involved at this point, Grayscale Investments, um, which, by the way, Grayscale is uh, actually a great example of kind of like walking that middle ground, but they are also um, providing a tool for customers rather than uh, making, they're, they're not from outside the space, they kind of really started at the beginning and have been very early and just trying to provide that um, the avenue for retail investors and uh, the average person to get a foothold into Bitcoin, um, and they've been purchasing a ton of Bitcoin and uh, have uh, their, their volumes and amount of uh, business that they have done is pretty incredible. And same with Square. Uh, so Cash App, another great example of kind of the same story, um, have made it truly um, accessible to their customers and to the investors that use their platform um, and have sold a massive amount of Bitcoin. Their volumes are skyrocketing in fact this past quarter i think was a 182 percent increase i kind of want to confirm that just to make sure i'm not talking out of my ass um but i know they've had they've continuously had staggering increases in the amount of volume and you think oh well now it's got to slow down and again they just kind of blew away every quarter they continue to just make their last quarter look silly um in comparison so i'm gonna I'm pause actually real quick and look that up okay so uh, it looks like we've got, so quarter four of 2019, um, was $178 million. And then it essentially just, sh just shy of doubled in quarter one, 2020 at $306 million. And then the, uh, <laughs> the, I said, what was it like 180% increase is actually undershooting, uh, quarter two went from, so we were at $306 million worth of revenue from uh, uh, Bitcoin, $875 million in quarter two. Uh, damn near three times the amount. That is insane. And one thing to note is that the $306 million that they got in quarter one 
was $100 million more revenue than they generated from their fiat services. Bitcoin has become their larger than their dollar use in the app. That is amazing. So anyway, um, but you know, so again, this is, this is a very similar story and we're seeing the industry explode, but what did micro strategy do? And I'm going to just read a segment from their, uh, from their report of exactly what they are saying and that it really lays out their mindset about this. And this is talking about their corporate strategy to uh, basically, you know, provide value and security to their shareholders. So, quote, I think the balance sheet for the second part of our corporate strategy is material. We have a large amount of U.S. dollars on our balance sheet, and we have carried that for a while. Over time, the yield on our dollar values has decreased, and at points, we had an expectation that we could get a higher real yields, and therefore, there was no urgency to address this issue. But as of today, we're expecting negative real returns, or a negative real yield on U.S. dollars, and that's an expectation that has materially changed over the course of the last three months. We expect on a macroeconomic basis more monetary stimulus. From the Fed, we expect more fiscal stimulus. From politicians both in the U.S. and Europe and perhaps everywhere else in the world, we expect a low interest rate environment for quite some time. As Jerome Powell said, we're not thinking about raising interest rates and we're not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates. And not being the case, if you're... If you have large dollar values and you're hoping for any kind of return on them, that's faded. Gold, silver, and Bitcoin are showing strength. So this is the mindset they're coming from. They are looking at the yield on their cash holdings. They are seeing that the, the asset that they are using as their monetary reserve, as their treasury balance to hold, as a... Uh, as a spending mechanism, as a, as a legit, straight, 100%, where are we storing our value? Fiat money is no longer a good option. And they just said both in the US and Europe and potentially everywhere else in the world that just across the board, nothing looks, no cash, no fiat currency looks like a safe place to get a real positive yield on anything. There's another quote that I think is extremely important, is that, quote, faith in fiat currency is fading across the market, which is seen in rallies in most asset classes in quarter two, end quote. Faith in fiat currency is fading. And as some of you may understand uh, and, you know, know all too well, the only thing that fiat currency runs on is faith in its monetary soundness, in the fact that it will hold value. And understand, if the faith is fading, it's not a situation of, like, that's a, that's a feedback loop of uh, it will lower its value as people stop holding their reserves, as stop seeing it as a place to get any sort of yield, they will divest of it, and that will accelerate the loss of faith. This is something that can happen very, very quickly. We have seen it happen many times in history. We've seen it 
happened many times just in the last five or six years in numerous countries. And this is a much larger scale and a much larger environment that we're witnessing the potential of this happening yet again to the two, three strongest currencies in the world. That statement is not to be taken lightly from the position that this company is in. And they've made the assessment that it would not be sensible to hold the global reserve money, the global reserve currency, U.S. dollars, as their treasury reserves. This is about reserves. Where do they hold stable, long-term value? This is a question of what money they should use. This is the first and most critical role of money, to store value. This is the purpose of cash, for reserves to have a low-risk asset during high uncertainty. Dollars are no longer that. Another quote from this report. It makes sense to shift our treasury assets into some investments that can't be inflated away or are less likely to be inflated away. There's just about nobody we can find in the market today that isn't expecting some form of inflation to come. So as we pursue alternative investment strategies for our treasury assets, we expect that we will have more volatility, at least as measured in U.S. dollar terms, looking forward. End quote. Now, obviously, when they take that approach, gold and silver are going to be on the table. They, these are the historically most sound and most reliable assets that people and uh, even corporations and banks have turned to um, during times like these. Uh, the, the higher the uncertainty, the, the more uh, you know, gold is held in reserves and the more people go to hard assets, um, exactly like that, just, just like he said, um, uh, in quarter two, basically all uh, alternative assets have seen a rise, and that is because um, he thinks, uh, th this is the CEO, by the way, Michael Saylor of the company that is, has made these comments, um, but that uh, that's why he thinks um, all of these, you know, harder asset classes have um, uh, increased in value during this quarter is because Essentially, everyone he speaks to and knows in the market is expecting some form of inflation and sees that the yields on dollars and uh, traditional reserve, um, reserve assets to be a negative or um, basically non-existent. So gold and silver are expected. These are the easy um, the easy historical bets, and they're just a way to save. They're just a way to not be exposed to this and make sure your capital stays there over time. But there's really no value or purchasing power upside potential. It's mostly a hedge against any downside. And this is where MicroStrategy's position and basically, so, so they've been for 30 years, and uh, Michael kind of lays this out in uh, some other of his comments, is that, you know, we've made many bets um, in the past and uh, pride themselves on being very good at recognizing major technology trends. Um, he wrote about in 2012 the mobile wave and uh, talked at length about how mobile computing and the rise of mobile phones and smartphones and all of this, all of these things were going to have huge effects and shifts on the basically the business environment. 
um, and just, you know, the entire, the entire world in general. I mean, look at, I mean, this is 2012. Think about how crazy it is that how short of a time span that we have become so deeply connected that everybody has a smartphone um, uh, now. Like that, that shift happened so freaking fast. Um, and we have still not addressed, we have still not really understood the level of impact this has had. And like I've said many times um, before and have posted recently on Twitter, I think COVID is actually a response. I think, I think this is a social media phenomenon of how information has completely changed our relationship to the world and to each other. Um, but uh, he, he talks about how like, you know, there was significant change coming and they were seeing the mobile wave that was on the horizon and the implications of the rise of Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Twitter, all of these things. Um, so they, they were well aware of this push that was happening at the very beginning of this. And now they believe, MicroStrategy believes, that the world is enter entering the virtual wave where uh, we are going to dematerialize. We are going to virtualize our products, our services, um, processes and that these advanced technologies and these um, uh, these uh, virtual environments and uh, uh, analytics um, systems are going to completely change how we interact and that this has actually been catalyzed. This has basically gotten a giant kick in the butt by the COVID uh, crisis that we're going to see a digital transformation that uh, rapidly accelerates and shifts the requirements and needs of the market because of exactly what has happened with this COVID. And that's absolutely true. Look at the explosion of Zoom, of Amazon, all of the services. Some, even though there's been a huge shutdown of businesses, there have been mom and pop, store, uh, uh, mom and pop stores uh, out of business across the country. Restaurants have gone out of business. I mean, the, the amount of loss of business and huge uh, losses and deficits that will happen at the end of these next two quarters are going to be staggering. But at the same time, there have been a subset of businesses and um, avenues and markets that are exploding right now, and I think will continue to explode and build out an entirely different way. Um, I think education is going to fundamentally change, and it will not go back completely. I think uh, remote work uh, is going to see hundreds of percents increase in the amount of involvement that they have. I think we're going to see a crash in, uh, in many, many different residential markets and in cities. People are moving away from cities. They're seeing the huge cost advantage to getting out of the city and now getting into remote work. And this has pushed so many companies that have avoided it and tried not to get that set up um, operational to basically put all the infrastructure in place to make it work. And they're not going to just undo it all at the end of this. This is now a sunk cost and they can take advantage of lower wages. If somebody's not living in San Francisco paying $4,000 for a one bedroom apartment and instead they go five you know, five hours out of the city and can now live on a $800 apartment with two bedrooms and uh, uh, they can now accept, you know, a fourth of the freaking pay for the same job. And the company that was in San Francisco now gets to save a ton more money and their living standard, everybody's living standards actually go up and costs go down. This is going to be a huge, huge shift, but I don't want to get too far into that because that's a whole nother guy's take episode that we can talk about. 
But basically, MicroStrategy is seeing this and they're recognizing all of these shoe shifts that are coming and that the market is going to be 100% different and that virtualization is going to be a huge push. And they recognize that Bitcoin is going to be a critical piece of this for multiple different reasons. Here's another quote. This investment reflects our belief that Bitcoin, as the world's most widely adopted cryptocurrency, is a dependable store of value and an attractive investment asset with more long-term appreciation potential than holding cash. Since its inception over a decade ago, Bitcoin has emerged as a significant addition to the global financial system with characteristics that are useful to both individuals and institutions. MicroStrategy has recognized Bitcoin as a legitimate investment asset that can be superior to cash and accordingly has made Bitcoin the principal holding in its treasury reserve strategy. End quote. Accordingly has made Bitcoin the principal holding in its treasury reserve strategy. It has compared Bitcoin to dollar cash in its treasury reserves, and it has said, we are going to hold mostly Bitcoin in our treasury. This is what you do with a reserve asset. And they fully recognize, in the previous uh, quote that I gave, um, they fully recognize that this means that there will be more volatility, but they also see more long-term store of value potential. They're willing to accept the volatility, understanding its more important characteristics that give it, it exactly like I talked about with falling to $3,000. They know that when it does, it will climb back up to nine. That yes, there will be volatility. Yes, there will be more movement because of the, the nascency of the market, but that it has incredible staying potential and at the same time, aside from just being a reasonable hedge against inflation, it also has the prospect of earning a very high return against other investments. So even not just straight as a reserve asset, but looking at it from the investment potential, it could even be a better investment than stocks or being in some, some specific company or trying to, you know, hedge against, you know, in the mobile wave or whatever, do we invest in Apple? Do we invest in Google, et cetera? Like, this is not really just a decision to invest in a company that they think is going to be very valuable. This is both a reserve asset and what appears to be a strong investment because of the potential of it being a reserve asset for many other people. This is monetization. Quote, we find the global acceptance, brand recognition, ecosystem vitality, network dominance, architectural resilience, technical utility, and the community ethos of Bitcoin to be persuasive evidence of its superiority as an asset class for those seeking a long-term store of value. Bitcoin is digital gold, harder, stronger, faster and smarter than any money that has preceded it. We expect its value to accrete with advances in technology, expanding adoption, and the network effect that has fueled the rise of so many category killers in the modern era, end quote. If that doesn't make you think, holy shit, then you're listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> and I think 
one of the most important consequences of this is, you know, this could be seen as risky. This could be seen as a very stupid decision. Um, uh, this could have a lot of backlash. You know, there, there are all sorts of consequences um, that this could have had um, in the markets. And it would very much judge how people see Bitcoin. Um, I think regardless of the people who say, oh, Bitcoin's a silly thing, oh, it's just magic internet money, what a speculative scam, it's a Ponzi scheme, et cetera, et cetera. What does the market actually think? We don't know. We don't know until we have the price, right? We don't know until we see its reaction to, to an event like this. So what does the market think of MicroStrategy after they announce this decision? Immediately. Upon market opening the following day after this was out, the stock jumped 11%. And it sustained at about 9 to 10% increase that day. And uh, actually, that has happened uh, just today. I'm glad this actually postponed one more day before I was able to get this episode out because it has climbed another 6% today. The five-day change for MicroStrategy stock which has just announced that they have more than half of their treasury reserves in Bitcoin now, is a 17% increase in the price. As I said at the beginning of this, anybody who has significant cash holdings, anybody who uh, wants to see a short-term response, wants to judge what the market thinks of Bitcoin and whether or not it is going to be a strong store of value and what that actually means is going to look very, very closely at this. And now they see this seemingly risky decision by MicroStrategy result in a 17% increase in their stock in five days. And again, this isn't somebody who's inside of Bitcoin. This isn't a, a company that decided to create Bitcoin services. It's not an exchange. It's not a Bitcoiner who tried to, is opening a business. Like it makes sense from within the, within the ecosystem um, and within enthusiasts and people who are Bitcoiners and individual investors who've been in it for years to try to establish their position, to use their capital, to try to help the ecosystem. And that's critically important. But this is specifically a company that isn't in Bitcoin, that doesn't provide Bitcoin services, that hasn't created a Bitcoin uh, product or doesn't run an exchange. They are a company. There is a, they're a billion-dollar company that does enterprise analytics who is trying to uh, save their money for the future, who is looking at the macro situation, looking at the macro environment of dollars, of cash holdings, of treasury bonds, and seeing the fact that they're going to get negative real yield, that they're going to lose value in their treasuries if they don't find a better investment strategy and they don't find a stronger store of value, and they have said Bitcoin is legitimate, Bitcoin has a strong staying potential, Bitcoin has an incredible network effect, and it is clearly superior to all others in its digital asset uh, industry, and they have, made a they have made it their principal holding in their treasury reserves. This is a big deal, in my opinion. Um, I am crazy bullish because of this news. And you know how much they bought? 21,424 Bitcoin. They bought one one thousandth of the entire Bitcoin eventual supply. 
if the future plays out like we think, MicroStrategy is going to be one of the biggest capital allocators in the future, <laughs> um, without a doubt. Uh, them and the Winklevoss twins, basically. And there's other re another really important piece of this that um, uh, uh, Brady, uh, Citizen Bitcoin, or actually, I know, I think, I can't remember who exactly it was, somebody from Swan Bitcoin, but Swan Bitcoin uh, tweeted out and uh, he, he directed me, I went to CNN Money, um, uh, pointed me over there to, to get a closer look at this, uh, to look at the shareholders of MicroStrategy. Who owns MicroStrategy, right? Who, who basically said, okay, yes, this is important. Who, uh, who do they have to ask essentially for permission of this decision? BlackRock is a 15% stakeholder, is the largest stakeholder in the company, and the Vanguard, the Vanguard group is 11.7%, the second largest owner of MicroStrategy. BlackRock is the largest asset manager in the world. They have 7.4, as at quarter four 2019, I think it's like 7.6 or 7.8 or something like that now, but quarter four 2019, they had... $7.4 trillion in managed assets. The Vanguard Group has over $6.2 trillion in assets under management. They're an investment advisor. These are two of the largest investment companies in the world. And I find it really, really hard to believe that as number one and number two owners in MicroStrategy, that they were not fully aware of this decision. Now, when we're talking about comparing Bitcoin to U.S. cash holdings, we're talking about having reserves in cash, the larger reserve asset is sovereign debt, is treasury bonds. That's the uh, single largest market for reserves, um, it's a $100 trillion roughly market. Um, I think there's, there's a number of different estimates, but if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, treasury bonds specifically um, are about a $100 trillion market. Real yields on treasury bonds are going negative. All across Europe, um, all across the EU, uh, they are potentially going negative in the United States. As a means of securing reserves and as of holding long-term value, treasury bonds are increasingly a terrible idea. In the exact same vein as comparing it to cash, it is a baby step to comparing it to your treasury bond holdings. And as it becomes, as it starts to grow, and as more people start to see it as a realistic investment strategy and reserve strategy for their cash holdings, it's going, to grow, it's going to significantly increase in value and it's going to be seen as an even more secure and reliable alternative for the very next step, treasury assets, treasury bonds. And those yields aren't going up. Those yields are going negative. Those yields are racing to zero and below as fast as they can. And that's not even real yields. That's just the normal, that's the nominal yield, the percent those bonds are still denominated in dollars, so the inflation, or in, in denominated in the currency, so the inflation of the currency is an additional loss on top of the bond. 
this is what we're talking about when we say Bitcoin is going to be the standard. It's the hardest money in the world. And it is a new, it is, it is at, at the exact same point that we are seeing a massive push toward the virtualization of services, of assets, and of goods around the world. It is literally a perfect storm for Bitcoin right now. And that comes with all the bad reasons that it's a perfect storm. Like it's not, it's not as if everything's happy-go-lucky. It's because there's so much uncertainty. There's so much risk everywhere else. And there's so little real yield anywhere else in the markets because everything is in such crappy ways. It's shocking what the central banks have done to just obliterate the health and sustainability of the global financial infrastructure. They've made a mockery of the entire global monetary system. It's in freaking shambles. I think this is a clear indication of the game theory of Bitcoin, of the economics of hard monetary assets, and of a step towards the monetization of Bitcoin. You know, the, the big picture of this is pretty crazy when you lay it all out. The world financial system is, the global financial system is bleeding right now. There is massive unemployment and fallout from this global lockdown. The, uh, the IMF is pushing to legitimize a global reset. And when a company hears that, you better be damn sure that they are wondering what that means for the bonds that they are holding, for their cash reserves, for the currencies that they do business in. Bond yields are going to zero and negative across the entire modern world. There is political turmoil at the same time in so many countries. There is a huge push toward virtualization, and COVID has been a massive catalyst in accelerating that. Borders are being disputed. Hong Kong just got conquered by China, and everybody's kind of trying to pretend that that didn't just happen. There are multiple countries in revolution or hyperinflation right now. Multiple currencies are failing and expected to continue weakening together. All fiat currencies right now are in a race to the bottom. Real yields are basically nowhere to be found. Riots have been a consistent part of life for months. And real freedom is damn near a distant memory. And there's even been so much corruption, lying, and unthinkable crimes of the political class that have come to light in this new uh, much more exposed and naked digital environment that we are in where everybody has a camera and it's destroying faith in our media. It's destroying faith in our political systems and our justice system that these systems ever worked and faith in the currencies themselves. The pressure is building everywhere and I think we all feel it. And this company, MicroStrategy, already has and many others will follow, they took a step back and they looked at this entire picture and among all of this, there is a single provably hard asset with a strong history of reliability, a vastly increasing liquidity and legitimacy that has total independence both from any political jurisdiction and the very infrastructure of our teetering financial system 
that is not comparable to any other digital asset in security and architectural resilience, and they have held it up against the current global reserve currency, and they have reached the conclusion that it would be an intelligent decision for Bitcoin to be their principal asset held in their treasury. The game is on, ladies and gents. And the game theory is absolutely in Bitcoin's favor. So, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> um, uh, with that, let's close this one out. Um, uh, this has been a guy's take episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. And uh, I'm pretty bullish right now. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe to the show if you don't want to miss the next Guys Take episodes and all of the mini reads and chats and interviews that we will do in the interim. And of course, I will have that Fidelity article. I won't forget it this time about their open source cold storage if you want to dig a little bit deeper into that. It's a fascinating uh, system that they have and also really cool to see an institution like that embracing the open source ethos and... Um, uh, mentality and the, the, the security and openness and transparency rather than a security through obscurity kind of mindset. And of course, stack sats. Stack your Bitcoin with swanbitcoin.com slash guy. Uh, and if you haven't gotten on the Lightning Network yet, Strike is now publicly available. Uh, download Strike on the Android or uh, uh, iOS uh, app store. Um, and, you know, not, neither one of these guys are sponsoring the show. I'm just telling you literally what I use. I use Swan Bitcoin to stack sats, and I love it. Um, of course, the, the referral link gets me, like, I think five bucks or something like that. So do it for that reason, too, because you want to get $10 and you want to give me five. But um, uh, another great way to stack sats is to use Fold and Strike together. Um, I have been doing this consistent, consistently, and I love it. Um, is a fascinating way to take advantage of the Lightning Network, and it is a great example of the incredible utility that Lightning is going to provide to Bitcoin. I have been using it like crazy. I've been absolutely drowned in Lightning payments recently. I've been doing everything on it, and it's getting easier and easier. So please check that out if you haven't. You've got the Breeze wallet is uh, still my favorite wallet. Strike is the app that will let you spend dollars from your bank account over the Lightning Network, and Fold will get you... Um, gift cards to Amazon, uh, Starbucks. I, I literally, I don't spend money at Amazon, Lowe's, Starbucks, anything that is available on Fold. I do not spend money on it uh, without first going to strike and then spending over lightning because I get 2% back, 3% back, sometimes 4 or 5% back in rewards. Uh, just straight up saving a full-on discount and getting paid in sats for using dollars. So uh, that is another great way on top of your Bitcoin savings plan at Swan Bitcoin to stack sats and get ready for this insane future that we are headed into. Again, I think, I think this, this cycle is going to be crazy. And I hope you guys stick with me for this one. So don't forget to subscribe. Uh, check me out on Twitter. I'm Guy Swan at The Crypto Economy and at Bitcoin Audible. You can find me at both very easy to get from one to the other and with that let's close it out thank you so much for listening until next time take it easy guys
This has been a 111 production, and you were listening to Bitcoin Audible on the Crypto Economy Network.